Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. I haven't had a chance to meet you. My name is Samuel. And if I haven't met you, seriously, stick around a little bit afterwards. I'd love to get to meet you. Now, next week, like Jason said, we're going to have baptisms. It's going to be great. If you haven't followed Jesus in baptism since you believed, do that. Really, that's a, it's a decision for believers. So maybe you were baptized as a child, and you're like, well, well do I really, should I really do that again? If we follow Jesus' example, then yes. It's wonderful that your parents would want to dedicate you to the Lord, but it's a personal decision that you make. So if you haven't been baptized since you believed, then next week, is your chance. Jump on that website so we can know how many to plan for. The website is lifewest.church, and you'll see it right on there, baptisms, and we'll just get you all squared away with that. And then we're starting next week a brand new series, and this is going to be called Truth Be Told. And we're really, we're looking at what science and history have to say about the Bible. Because here's the deal, we do not have a blind faith. We're not like, well, I believe in Jesus, so I just ignore everything around me, and I'm just going to like act like nothing exists and everything is... No. And it's just really fun when you really get down to it, and the truth be told, when it comes to history and science and how they just prove the Bible over and over. Science proves the Bible, and history just backs it up like, oh, yep, that too, that too, that too. It's going to be really fun, so make sure you join us for that. But today, we're celebrating Easter. We're celebrating the empty tomb. And so we're going to start in Matthew 28. And Jesus is in the tomb, and it says, after Sabbath... At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the mother, and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was as lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Now come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Now that's what we're celebrating, an empty tomb. It is done. Now, what was that? The resurrection, understand this, that is the final proof that Jesus was God. That he was who he said he was. That he wasn't just a nice guy that did some things and all that was great, but he rose from the dead because that had never happened before. That, that had not happened before. This is it. This is incredibly important to you and I. 1 Corinthians talks about it this way. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 says, and if there is no resurrection of the dead, then if not even Christ was raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching and your faith are useless. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then let's just go home. But he did. And if he did, then he is God. He was God. He beat death. And then what does that mean? What does that mean to you and I? It's it's, it's absolutely key. It's everything that he did raise from the dead. It's like your car. Your car's great, maybe, most likely. I mean, it's a whole lot faster than walking. I mean, I promise you, just, just, just try walking home, and you will be thankful for that car that you have. But whether it's super luxurious or just like, hey, it just gets me from A to B, and I have to anoint it with oil three times a day just to get it to do that, like whatever it might be, 
Let me just say, if you don't have the key to put in that car, it's a redneck lawn ornament. It's just going to sit there. You need the key, and that's what starts it, activates it, and then you can go. The resurrection is absolutely key to what you and I believe. It is key because Jesus was God. It proves that he was, and so we want to look at what it is that he said, what it is that he did, did because he is God. So as we look at what Jesus did, as we look at this, Jesus coming out of the grave, understand this, it caught, it caught most everybody off guard. We just read that Mary, they were going to go to the tomb to see the body. They weren't going, they weren't like, hey, we got to get this on, you know, yeah, get your phones out, we're going to catch this, we're going to go viral for sure, we're going to get the resurrection, this is going to be awesome. No. They weren't fighting crowds of people that were like, remember he said he was going to rise from the dead on the third day? Well, <laughs> this is about to be it, this is going to be great, pass the popcorn. There, there was none of that. In fact, the opposite seems to be true in that the people that were more, the most afraid of Jesus rising from the dead, the Pharisees, the very people who killed him, they are the ones that believed him the most. Because Matthew 27 says this, the next day on the Passover day, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they're the ones that had him killed, went to Pilate and they said, sir, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, he will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he's been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. They didn't think he would actually rise from the dead, but they believed, like, we know what he said. Nobody else did. His followers, none of them were there. This caught them off guard. But knowing that, now that we know that he rose from the dead, what does that mean about what he said? And not just that, but about the way that he died. Because if he was God, Jesus died knowing that death couldn't hold him. He knew that death could not hold him. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew what was coming. He chose to die. So why did he choose to die? And what does it mean? Well, Matthew 27 Verse 45, we see Jesus hanging on the cross. And some pretty crazy things happen right here. Matthew 27, 45, Jesus is hanging on the cross and it says this, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. That's not when it's normally dark. I mean, it might be a great time to take a nap, but this wasn't normal. And darkness, when we see darkness in the Bible, darkness represents judgment. And Exodus when the Egyptians would not let the Israelites go, God said, there'll be judgment. And part of it was, there was darkness over the Egyptians. So darkness covers everything. And about the three, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, la I can't read it, okay? I don't know what it is and I doubt you do either. So just, we'll just read it and pretend. La I just read it fast and then it sounds like I know what I'm doing which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, darkness is that judgment. But Jesus, 
Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, my sin and your sin, Jesus paid the price for it, that was all placed on him. And at that moment, God looked away. And for the first time, Jesus, the Son, did not have fellowship with the Father. He was separated from God for the first time. He was fully man. Yes, he was. But when sin came on, Jesus, God had to look away. God broke that off because God cannot look at sin. He cannot be a part of it. So he looked away. It says this in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He took that on so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's because of our sin. He took it so that you and I could be made right with God. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are like, I'm a bad person. Probably not. Probably most of you are like, no, not me. Few of you would like prepare a job resume and be like, well, I'm uh, very good with Word and I am a programmer and I'm a bad person. Like you just don't really put that in there. I doubt you'd go to a dating website and make your little profile and be like, well, I enjoy long walks on the beach, mountain biking, and I'm a bad person. Like we don't, we don't really just put that in there because here's the thing. We don't think of ourselves as really bad. We don't think of ourselves as bad. I mean, there's some bad people out there, right? And we teach our kids, like, hey, there's bad, there's, there's bad people, so you need, we need to be careful. But we don't really think of ourselves as bad. And honestly, this is the mantra of our day. And it's this, it's people are good, and we're getting better. And if you give us enough time, we'll solve all of our own problems. All we have to do is just come together. And if we'll all work together towards the same idea, we don't need God. We'll sort this out ourselves because people are good and we're getting better. And God's like, no, you're, you're not good. You're not getting better. And we see it over and over. We don't get good and better, all we do is we get better at being bad. And we come up with better ways of doing bad things. That's what we get over and over. But this idea, this idea that, well, I'm actually good, that people are actually good, and we're getting better, lends itself, it's, it has a name, and it's globalism. It's we can all do this, all we have to do is if, if we set aside our differences and we all come together, we can solve our problems. But the truth is, there's a God-sized thing, it's a God-sized problem, and we cannot solve this on our own. We cannot solve it on our own. But the world just chants it, and they're like, no, we are good, and because we're good and getting better, then what we need to do is we need to reject anything that's conventional, traditional, and we need to reject historical norms because we're better now and everything that's historical, that's bad. And so it just throws everything and everything out. But it's not true. In fact, somebody comes up to Jesus in Luke 18, 18. It says this, a certain ruler asked him, 
good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you and I hear that, we'd be like, oh, like I, I read that and you just think, oh, he thought, he, he liked what Jesus was saying. He's like, you do a good job, like, yay, pat on the back, good job. But Jesus responds to this a little different. In verse 19, he says this, he says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, because no one is good except God alone. No one is good. We're not good. We need Jesus. And the idea that all we need is more time and we'll solve it ourselves doesn't work. If we look at civilization before the flood, it didn't turn out good. The Bible says this about it in Genesis 5, excuse me, 6 verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. When we're left to ourselves, we get worse and we get better at doing bad. Like you can look at the world around you and it just makes me think of Romans 1.22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. You're like, how can you not know what a boy and a girl is? They reject everything that's old and say, it has to be new, we're better, we'll make it better. No, we need Jesus. We need God. We need Him oh so very, very much. Because sin is sin and it separated us from God. And we can sit here and be like, well, how bad? Am I, am I really bad? Yes, yeah. My sin put Jesus on the cross. And we don't need to argue about whose is worse because sin is sin. If, if we were in Hawaii, where it would be warm and consistent, that'd be great. But if we had to swim home, guess what? We wouldn't make it. And it'd be useless to argue about who would swim the farthest because we'd all die. We're not going to swim the 2,000 plus miles home. You're not going to make it. Sure, you made it farther, you, but you still died. And our sin separated us from God. And we don't, it's useless to argue about, well, who's bad? God's standard, every one of us have fallen short of it. Every one of us has. That's what sin literally means, it's to miss the mark. It's to miss the mark, and so we have. So Jesus came, and he took our sin on him. God looked away. Our punishment was given to him. The next thing that we see happens, Matthew 27, verse 51. It says, and at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why are we talking about a, a curtain in the temple? Like, I mean, come on. Did a cat run in there, like bump something over, and that's how things... No, 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 no. Hold on a second. This curtain was somewhere around 40 feet tall. Huge curtain. This curtain separated the Holy of Holies from these outer courts and where everybody else could go. And this curtain separated the Holies of Holies. This curtain, they say, was about four inches thick. It wasn't just going to like accidentally tear like somebody's heel got caught on it and ripped it. No, none of that. The Bible says that this curtain was torn top to bottom, not bottom to top, top to bottom. This curtain separated the Holy of Holies from where anybody else could go. And the only person that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. It's found in Hebrews 9, 
Verse 7, the high priest entered this room and only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people. Once a year, one man was able to enter the presence of God. But when Jesus died, his blood paid the price once and for all, and that curtain was torn. We could have a relationship with God. We didn't have to wait once a year. And Jesus' blood did forever what needed to be done. So we could have a relationship with him. Man's sin was no longer going to separate them from God. The next thing we see Matthew 27 says this, the latter part of that verse. It says that the earth shook and the rocks split when Jesus died. Remember, he, this wasn't just a death. Jesus died. God's son died. And that earthquake just reminds me of this fact, that all of creation longs for God's return. All of creation longs for it. Romans 8 says it this way, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Have you ever looked at the world and thought, this thing is broken? Like, this just is not right. You're absolutely right. It is. It is broken. And all, the whole world, all of creation knows it. The natural disasters that we have, the storms, and you're like, how is this happening and what it, what it does? It's, it's not right. And we know it. We know it's not right. My house is actually, it's a parsonage. And there was a church right next to it, but the church burnt down and moved. And because the church moved, they ended up selling it and I ended up buying it. Well, the church got struck by lightning and burnt down. And it's kind of like, huh, because literally the insurance company claim was a act of God burnt the church down. <laughs> You're like, hmm. We look and we're like, well, what's going on? If God created all of this, then why does these things happen? And it's like, because it's broken. We have a God-sized problem and we need Him. We need Him. And Revelation talks about what's going to happen when He comes back. Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away a tear from their eyes, and he will be, there will be no more death, no more mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things is going to pass away. This is not what it's meant to be. God's like, this is not how I wanted it, and I'm going to bring it back. We're going to bring it back. The next thing that we see as we look at the cross, knowing that Jesus was God, what does it mean? And then we need to pick up is this, Matthew 27, 52. And the tombs broke open. Not just the tomb. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people 
who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. What Jesus did, it was amazing. He was God, but what he did was he destroyed death. He beat death. He wasn't the only one that was raised from the dead. And he showed this isn't just me. This isn't, okay, I'm God and I did this, but this is now available to everyone. Hebrews 2, 14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. He knew what he was doing. He's like, I know why I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it. He says, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. He's like, I'm going to solve this. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. And then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of people. Jesus won the battle. He did it. His body was broken for you and for me. He did it. He won it for you and for me. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives you and I the victory because of what he did. Romans says it like this. It says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? You ever think about that? You're like, well, wait a second. If you conquer, you win. Like, what's, what's more than a conqueror? And I kind of think of, I think of MMA. Anybody, anybody watch MMA? You're like, I don't know. Is it okay to say that I do that? Like, I, okay. <laughs> I think of an MMA fighter because these guys fight and they just clobber each other. And it's just, it's crazy. And there's blood and they pound. And sometimes I watch them like, I could do that. And then two seconds later, I'm like, no, I am not doing that. No, no. And man, but, but somebody's going to win. And they win and they get up and they got cauliflower ear and blood just coming out of this. And they're like, yeah, they're all happy and they're so excited. And they won a prize. They won a bunch of money. They get that check, and they won, and they go home, and that winner, he goes home, and he takes that check, and he gives it to his wife. Now, she is more than a conqueror. (laughs) She didn't have to do the fighting. She just sits in there, you get him, buddy, go, oh, get him, that's it. That's it. That's more than a conqueror because he paid the price, but she gets the victory. You and I are more than conquerors because he paid the price and we get the victory. We get the freedom. We get the forgiveness. We get set free and he took it all. You and I are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Jesus did it all. He set us free so that you and I could be free. You and I now, because of what he did, we get that same choice that Adam and Eve did all the way back in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God makes Adam and Eve, puts them in this amazing place, and he says, okay, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden, except one. In the middle of the garden, he said, there's one tree that you shouldn't eat from. 
It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But remember this, right next to that tree is the tree of life. And maybe you're like me, but I know one of the things that's on my when I get to heaven list is I'm going to have a conversation with Adam and Eve and be like, what were you guys thinking? Like, really? There's a tree of life and death, and you're like, let's start with death. Let's just go with that one. Like, they're both right there. It's in the name. It's in the name. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God says, it brings death, and the tree of life. Why didn't they at least just be like, okay, let's take a bite out of life. Okay, now let's go see what this one is. They didn't even do that. They just are like, right away, they're like the little kid, they're like, don't touch it, it's hot. And they're like, don't touch what? And they're like, no, I said it's hot. What? Like, do I, do I tell them? Because if I tell them it's hot, then they, then, then they want to touch what I told them not to touch. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's exactly what they did. But they had this question, and before them was this. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's a tree of life. And they chose the knowledge of good and evil. They chose death. You and I, we get that exact same opportunity because of what Jesus did. He says, I put before you life and death, and then he goes, choose life. We get, we get that. We get to make that decision because Jesus paid it all. We become more than conquerors because he paid the price so that you and I could be free. We get to be free. We get to walk in that freedom. And we don't have to be afraid of what it is because we know what he has for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what he wants for us. I don't know what your relationship with your parents has been, specifically your dad, but what you have in your heavenly father is a perfect dad who loves you so much. He wants a relationship with you that he made a way because that sin, no matter how big or small we think it is, God's like, it, it broke the relationship. It killed it. And we couldn't fix that problem ourselves. So he sent his son. And he solved that problem for you and for me. We celebrate the resurrection because of what it means. Because he fought the battle so that we could have the victory. And that we get to walk in that victory that we're not meant to just through life waiting to die. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're not here by accident. You might be a surprise to your parents, but you're not a surprise to God. You're not. He knew you were coming. He's like, yep, I have a plan and a purpose for you. And you might say, well, I think I messed it up. Like, you may have tried, but God can still use it. God will use every bit of it if you'll give it to him. Bible says God can use all things for the good of those that love and serve him. You're like, well, you wait till you hear what I did. It's not a surprise to God. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And part of that plan was him sending his son Jesus to fight the battle that you and I couldn't so that we could be free. So we could walk in that freedom every single day. You're not waiting to die. That's so why we have this thing called growth track that we do in and out every single month. And here's what it is. It's a class that meets four, four Sundays in a row, meets in the room kind of right over here behind me. And we want you to know God because everybody, the number one thing that you need is you need Jesus. But after that, you're not waiting to die. You're not just like, well, what's next? Well, try not to be bad there. No. You need to know God, find freedom from your past, 
discover your gifts and talents, and then make a difference. Use it to make a difference in this world. It doesn't matter how old, how young you are. It doesn't matter how much education you do or do not have, what mess you think you've made and how bad you think it is. God's like, no, I've got it covered. Jesus paid it all. And he wants a relationship with you. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for each and every one of us. And it was so important that he sent his son to die, to pay the price so that we could be free. But let me just say this. It's not just free when we go to heaven. It's freedom right now. Are you going to walk in that freedom? You and I, we get to make that choice. We get to look at the tree of knowledge. We get to look at the tree of life, and we get to choose. What am I going to do? Am I just going to try to run and do my own thing? Or am I going to say, God, I need you. I want what you have for me. Forgive me and make me new. That's the option that Easter gives us. We are more than conquerors because he fought the battle and he won. You and I can now have right standing with God. We can have a relationship with him. We can be set free. The question is, are we going to accept it? Because Jesus already did it. The part that's left is this. The Bible says in Romans that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we will be saved. It's not a life of perfection because you can't do that and neither can I. But his mercies are new every morning and thank goodness that they are. And he wants to come and empower you to live the life you couldn't on your own. Put his spirit on the inside of you, forgive you, the Bible says that in the Old Testament, said there was a way that they went about it. They killed animals to, as a sacrifice and blood was shed because they knew that they did wrong. And God's like, it wasn't enough. It didn't work. And here's why it didn't work. It wasn't able to clean the conscience. So Jesus came and did what those animals could not do. He shed his own blood so that we could be free. And I love what, what David cries out in the Psalms. He says, God created me a clean heart that he can do what no one else can do. No amount of soap, no washing can clean off the things, but God says, watch what I can do in your heart on the inside of you. And all we have to do is ask because the battle is already won. That's what we're celebrating with Easter, that he fought the battle and we get the victory. So if you're here and you say, you know, I don't know where I stand with God. I want to know. I'd love the honor of praying with you. Or maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? There was a time I was living for God, but I've just turned my back on him. But today I want to come back. Paul says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If you're either of those, I'd love the honor of praying with you right where you're sitting. And when we say amen, you can know your sins are forgiven. Begin to walk in the peace that passes all understanding. It only comes through God. Begin to walk out the plan and purpose that he has for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me a minute? If that's you, you say, today's my day. I want to give my life. I need to come back. I've been doing my own way and it's not working. I need God to do in me what only he can do. Or you're like, you know, today I'm just going to give it to him. If you're in this room online, wherever you are, 
In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand, and then we're going to pray right in your seat. And when we say amen, you can know that you're forgiven, set free, and on your way to heaven. If that's you, get ready. Be bold. We're going to lift those hands high. One, two, three. Right now, say, that's me, and today is my day. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, hands down. Here's what I want you to do. Everyone that lifted your hands, we're going to pray with you. And as you say these words, make them your own. Let's pray out loud together. Everybody together say right now, say, Jesus, forgive me and make me new. From now on, I'm yours. With all that I am, I choose you. Forgive me. I want to be yours. I believe you died, but you rose again. Come rule and reign in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.